everyone, and welcome to the Movie Night Podcast, the podcast that is like a book club, only for films. I am your host, Sass, and today I have so much to discuss with you as I am going to be delving into an incredibly big film to cover. Could I get a drum roll, please? We will be looking at the brand new Barbie film. I will preface this episode and all future episodes with the following spoiler warning. As this is a podcast where we discuss films, there will of course be spoilers throughout each episode. If this is something you dislike, then please feel free to listen up until we reach spoiler territory, then dip out and listen to the rest of the episode once you have seen the film. But if you're insane and like spoilers, or if you've already seen the film, then please stay right where you are. Barbie is, of course, the newly released live-action Barbie film that officially hit cinemas about two weeks ago now. It is a PG fantasy comedy and is supposedly meant to be marketable for all ages. It is directed by Greta Gerwig, who you may know as being the director of films such as Lady Bird and the most recent version of Little Women. And as Barbie, the film features beloved Neighbours star Margot Robbie, which is such a great win to see some Aussie talent on the big screen. She also worked very closely with Greta Gerwig as it was with her production company that Barbie was made. So she had to switch hats between producer and actress throughout the production. As her co-star Ken, we have Ryan Gosling also being the second biggest face in this film, which we'll get into my thoughts on that in a little bit. The film also includes an abundance of other very famous talents. It has a monstrous cast. We basically have half of the cast of television series Sex Education appearing in the film. It is excellent casting. I'm pretty sure that it was Alison Jones who did the casting. If that rings a bell, she also did the casting for things such as The Office, but I may need to fact check that. That's just who I think may have done the casting for the film. (laughs) There is a lot more diversity in this film than other Greta Gerwig films. I'm personally a really big Greta Gerwig fan. I absolutely love Lady Bird and I love Little Women. However, I recognise that the diversity in those films is lacking with a capital L. So it's really been great to see a lot more diversity in the casting of the Barbie film, especially since it is such a massive film that's going to have such a massive audience and, of course, an influence for years and years to come. If there was no diversity, I would be greatly concerned for what that means, given how big this film is and how many people have seen it and will continue to see it. As this is the first proper and official episode of Movie Night where we are looking at a film, I think it's important for me to say that I will touch on these ideas of representation and stereotyping and how films in general can reinforce conventions and ideas as it's so important that we're consuming these films very critically. So if you ever have an experience you would like to share with me about your identity and how you're related to the film and how something made you feel and the sort of issues it brought up for you, any of those kind of things. I think that we could have some really valuable discussions here on this podcast, and I would like to hear as many further insights as I possibly can. So if you want to provide me with them, that would be excellent, and we can have very valuable discussions on this podcast. Now, Barbie is, of course, the first film we are covering on this podcast, and the reason I chose this film is because since it's only just come out and there's no episode of Movie Night before this one, I thought that it would save us from having to 
get a heap of submissions in about people's thoughts and be a nice episode to just start off with where I can just sort of go off something that's very new and then you can put your headphones in and straight away be able to absorb all this Barbie content as soon as you've seen it, which I think is absolutely fabulous. You can immediately leave the film and feel like you're a part of this dialogue occurring around its release. And then at the end of today's podcast, I will announce the next movie we're covering so that you guys have all the time you need to watch it and generate some thoughts and opinions on it and even share them with me before I put the episode out there. I, of course, chose this film because of the hype built up around it, but I was absolutely going to see it regardless of this podcast. I wasn't massively Barbie obsessed growing up. I, of course, was someone who played with dolls. I have lots of memories of going to my cousin's house and playing with dolls with them, but I just really loved the idea of one, a Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig film. That, of course, was always going to be fantastic to me. Two, the idea of a feminist film. As a feminist, I was very excited about this film's release and I can't wait to get into deep discussion on all of that kind of things. So feminist film is very important to me and my excitement grew when I found out that this, of course, would be a feminist film. Uh, As a kind of girly girl who really loves the colour pink, um, this film looks very visually appealing to me. So I was also very keen to see it for those kind of reasons as well just from the trailers and that promoting that I saw before the film's release I was like wow that looks very sass very on brand for me so of course I had to see it for that reason as well but also because it's totally up my alley with genres I very much love the uh, light-hearted kind of films and that fact that it is fantasy comedy is very much up my alley And I, of course, grew up watching all the Barbie films, so I wanted to compare them as well. Personally, before we get into this live action film, I will touch on my favourite Barbie films prior to this. So I was very much a Barbie 12 Dancing Princesses girl, Barbie Princess and the Pauper, Barbie Rapunzel, and I think it was Barbie Swan Lake. Anyways, those are my top Barbie films. I'm sorry for all of you who liked the Mermaids ones and whatnot, but no, I would say 12 Dancing Princesses is the best Barbie film of all. So, of course, I was excited to see Barbie for that reason. I have a history of watching Barbie films that I had to keep up with. So I think it's important to provide some context on my personal viewing experience because it definitely had an impact on my outlook of the film. It played a very large role in how I was feeling and I just think it's important to provide you with my viewing experience just so that you can understand where my review may be coming from. So I saw the film in a special preview session at one of the cinemas in Melbourne that is a part of the Lido or Lido chain, which is like a commercial cinema and also a cinema that specialises in screening quality art house films. So, of course, Barbie is so popular that they decided to run what is called a pink preview session where you could all come and wear pink and they had the cinema all decorated. They had Barbie-themed cocktails. They had giant Barbie boxes you could stand in to get Instagram photos inside of. 
Um, yeah, a whole pink party preview where you were meant to show up in your best pink outfits. Originally, they were only running four sessions. So I hurriedly bought me and my friendship group of like seven or eight of us tickets. And disappointingly, the only tickets that were left for a group that big to sit side by side was the front row. So we all had to sit nice and close to the screen and look up and everyone looks like they had really big arms because of the angle, especially Ryan Gosling, which was quite hilarious. But I didn't let it disappoint me too much. Maybe I had a sore neck, but I didn't care. I just wanted to be there. But I did regretting buying my tickets a month early because they ended up all selling out like for all the four sessions and adding more sessions on to make up for this. So I think in the end they had something like 10 sessions for the entire cinema so I'm assuming that's well it is the entire theater was entirely booked out every single theater inside the cinema so all 10 of them all 10 screens were showing the Barbie movie all at 8 p.m so it was absolutely packed because of course every film was starting at the same time and about 10 sold out sessions were arriving at the same time. So when I went to the cinema, it was like being in a sea of pink. It was basically a mosh pit. You were arm to arm with every single person around you uh, who was wearing anything as sparkly and glittery and pink and as possible. We had people in cowgirl hats. We had people dressed up as Ken in his uh, fluorescent sort of aerobics rollerblading outfit. We had just about every sort of pink glamorous outfit you can imagine. And it was the best thing that I've ever seen. And I got my little Barbie pink cocktail after pushing my way through, which I'm pretty sure was a cosmopolitan, but it came in a little glass jar with Margot Robbie's face on it. So I absolutely love that. The best thing I can compare it to would be like being in the mosh pit for a Harry Styles or Lizzo concert where everyone is just like completely bedazzled and completely fangirling and exciting and it was just really good vibes like the atmosphere the hype everyone was sort of buzzing and happy and of course it was a lot of women but of course there was a lot of men as well but everyone was definitely over 18 especially since it was such a late session and because your ticket included a cocktail I'm going to say that everyone was well and truly within the 18 to 25 year old bracket but of course there were also very large groups friendship groups of older women uh, older women as well so I would say lots and lots of uh, variety in audiences but definitely an older audience overall but of course we know this uh, excitement had been building for a long time now so it's no surprise that it was going to be so incredibly popular and to kick us off I think that we need to get into some discussion about the promotion of this film and all things interesting that happened prior to its release before I dive into all my opinions and thoughts upon reception. So I think that we should start by talking about the Barbie madness leading up to the film. I'm not 100% sure if this is true, but one of my co-workers told me that Mattel sort of was letting companies use that Barbie logo or use the Barbie color in their advertising for free. 
might be worth fact checking that, <laughs> uh, which is why we saw basically every brand ever come out with a Barbie collection, even if it wasn't free. Uh, every brand ever did come out with a Barbie collection. So we had Barbie candles, we had Barbie stationery, we had Barbie oodies, Barbie clothing, Barbie makeup, Barbie everything. Uh, everywhere you looked, if you went to a shopping centre, had something Barbie themed in its window or at least something pink, which I loved because that's my favourite colour uh, and it all looked very beautiful. So that, of course, was sort of like advertising in itself for the film, even though it was prof like other companies were profiting off it for other things. It was simultaneously promoting seeing the film and, of course, helping people buy their Barbie pink outfits as well. Matching this, we also had a massive press tour by the cast they went to Sydney I know and there was a, like a Barbie pool in Sydney a few weeks before that as well we also had them light up the Eiffel not the Eiffel Tower sorry the London Eye we had them light up the London Eye pink and set off pink fireworks in London which was absolutely insane and of course there was just so Many interviews with just about every cast member coming out with just about every media company reporting on the film, interviewing about the film. So it was just like the most insane coverage ever. It looked absolutely mental. We also got an architectural digest of the Barbie dream house. Uh, we got Airbnbs that looked like the Barbie dream house and also looked like the Kendom, which if you don't know what that is, we're going to get into it. <laughs> um, just, yeah, so much. There was a lot of money put into the promotion of the film. But funnily enough, unconventionally, there was something else that promoted the film, which was a little bit unexpected and unintentional. It was this meme, this Barbenheimer meme, which if you don't know what that is, how do you not know what that is? <laughs> Essentially, Barbie and Oppenheimer are, or should I say, were the two most anticipated films of the year. They are, of course, very different to each other. Oppenheimer is directed by Christopher Nolan, who is known for doing incredibly intense, sort of dark, serious films focused on topics of war. And then Barbie is, of course, meant to be something very lighthearted and cutesy and fun <laughs> so absolutely parallel to each other and people were sort of wrangling with how uh, how does the viewing experience work when both of these two films um, which are equally as great but totally different how does the viewing experience work with going to see both of them can you see Oppenheimer first or do you see Barbie first what is, what's the protocol? What are you meant to do? Because they're so completely opposite ends to each other. And it led to this great debate of, oh, you should see Oppenheimer first, you know, for the lightheartedness of it. And then Barbie afterwards for the, you know, serious thought provoking sense of the film. So uh, that, of course, led to some amazing fan posters, amazing edits of combining the two things together and they just juxtapose each other absolutely wonderfully it's comic genius and that led to greater promotion for the film which I think is wonderful that all of the cinema geeks 
even the ones who are very far Oppenheimer and even the ones who are very far Barbie came together as one for this little joke, which I quite liked. But of course, I only went to the Barbie Pink Party preview. I did not go see Oppenheimer for this reason because I had the preview session booked and Oppenheimer is apparently very hard to get into. It's sold out in IMAX very, very far in advance. And that is the only place where I would really want to see it because apparently that is the only place showing it in its, well, one of the very few places that are showing it in the correct sort of viewing context of how you're meant to see the film and uh, Greta Gerwig's film Barbie you could just sort of watch in any cinema it was actually her first film uh, that was shot in a 2-1 aspect ratio unlike her other movies which are all sort of shot in a taller aspect ratio so that's quite interesting to note uh, that she sort of swapped it up for this very mainstream film but both of the films were projected to gross an insane amount, millions and millions and millions in their opening weekend. And of course, both of them booked out in very popular cinemas way in advance to the film's actual releases. So let's go back to our discussion about casting. So of course, we have Margot Robbie as Barbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken. Both of these two totally give an amazing Barbie energy. Margot Robbie just she just looks like Barbie she's so perfect and of course she is insanely talented and so her as the protagonist was always going to be so perfect uh, a really funny thing actually she said in an interview that she didn't even audition for Barbie because that uh because the film was being made under her production company she was just sort of someone who slipped into the role and didn't really have a formal audition per se but of course she was the most perfect candidate for it and it makes complete sense that she just slipped straight into it. Ken uh, Ryan Gosling shared a funny story in an interview too about how he got the role. He sent Greta Gerwig this photo of his daughter's doll sort of laying in the dirt um, and said I must tell his story which I think is absolutely hilarious and very fitting of his character just this just this doll laying in the dirt laying in the mud being a bit neglected goes to say a lot about how the the narrative and the story sort of goes of the Barbie film and then, yeah, alongside those, we have a fabulous cast that showcases a great deal of diversity. We have pregnant characters. We have characters with all sorts of different hair colours, characters of all sorts of sizes and body types, of races, um, lots and lots of different intersections and uh, in regards to characters and actors and actresses, which is absolutely phenomenal to see. And... Yeah, I just think that it is fabulous. And of course, when we think of Barbie, we sort of think of this ideal beauty standard that Margot Robbie encompasses. And this film would have just been so limited if Margot Robbie didn't have these amazing co-stars that surround her and help to make the film this inclusive, special thing that it turned out to be, rather than this thing that just goes down this line of reinforcing these beauty standards um, and instead it shows that all of the Barbies are cool and special in their own diverse ways. 
But of course, what is sad is that stereotypical Barbie is the main character and some of the sidekicks definitely could have been the main character and don't need to play this role of assisting the narrative but instead could easily make a narrative themselves because they're all so wonderful. So of course we have absolutely massive stars in this cast. We have Will Ferrell, Emma Mackey, Michael Sierra, Kate McKinnon, who funnily enough in a, oh, what's the film called again? Bombshell, who funnily enough was in Bombshell with Margot Robbie and called Margot Robbie's character Anchor Barbie in the film, which is just fabulous because now they're both Barbies, uh, weird Barbie and stereotypical Barbie. Anywho, moving on. Uh, America Ferreira, I believe is how you say her surname, Connor Swindles, Suti Gatwa, Simu Liu, Isa Ray, or I think it's Isa, Isa, pardon my pronunciation, uh, Nikola Colhan, Kingsley Benadir, Sharon Rooney, Hari Neff, Emerald Fennel, Alexandra Ship, and even John Cena. Of course, missing from the cast is Greta Gerwig's regulars, Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet. Apparently, she did try to get them in. Of course, they are a staple to her sort of films, but it just didn't quite line up right. So that's interesting to know as well. I think one story about casting that's really interesting came from Hari Neff, who was, I heard this story on a podcast with them talking to Emrata on the High Low podcast, which is fantastic. And they had a really excellent episode. I would absolutely recommend listening to it where Hari Neff goes into her experience with the casting and how she sort of hates being cast just for being a transgender person, but just enjoys being cast for that talent that she brings, but also still had this excellent discussion about the word doll and what that means to transgender people about how they use the term doll and how that links to their identity and of course Harry Neff went into this discussion about how originally they couldn't get the film when being casted because couldn't do the film when being casted because of a scheduling conflict, but it meant so much to them that she actually wrote a letter to Greta and to Margot about how important it was and still managed to get into the film. So that was absolutely fabulous. She sort of spoke about how um, she doesn't want to be a diversity cast, but cast for being a phenomenal talent. And when going into her audition, she made to stay clear of how people sort of have this thought that of Barbie being hyper feminine. And so they were bringing to the audition Barbie and the idea of hyper femininity and showing that in their audition. And because she didn't take it down, this sort of misogynistic root of the character which of course goes with all these terms of like bossy and bitchy and whatnots annoying terms um and went with a different persona that sort of helped her land the part which is absolutely awesome and very interesting I really love that I have here a little snippet of what Hari Neff wrote to Greta about uh, getting the role and wanting to do it despite the scheduling contract, the scheduling conflict. And I think it's absolutely fabulous. So I'd like to read it out. Um, she sort of talks about, 
you know, the dolls and how it's a bid to ratify our femininity, to smile and sneer at the standards we're held to as women. It's a joke, of course. We throw our voices, the dolls, but underneath the word doll is the shape of a woman who is not quite a woman, recognisable as such, but still a fake. Doll is fraught, glamorous, she is and she isn't. We call ourselves the dolls in the face of everything we know we are, never will be, hope to be. We yell the word because the word matters and no doll matters more than Barbie. I absolutely think that is incredible. I can see how they were like, okay, she has to be in the film. We'll give her it. We'll let that let that happen. And she sort of explained it to Emrata as you know, using the term doll um, like a reckoning with the standards that she's held to and in a way where she's claiming herself as an ideal and went into this fantastic discussion about that, which is great um, because as a trans woman, of course, she has uh, mixed feelings about the term doll in queer culture. And so I think it's really important that they had casted someone who had that insight to bring to the table and whilst it didn't translate as much in the film as I would have liked to it does open up discussion and hopefully in the future we'll see it greater focused on perhaps in another Barbie film. Before the film came out I sort of knew that there was going to be this grappling with ideas of identity and this sort of feminist notion behind the film because uh, Margaret Robbie and Greta Gerwig did an interview with the ABC where they said that they wouldn't be uh, running away from the complexity but rather diving into it and Margaret Robbie of course said in the interview that people feel really strongly about Barbie some people love Barbie some people have a lot of problems with Barbie but everyone has an associated memory with Barbie and of course the film was always going to be upfront about that and not shy away from the problematic parts and that's what makes it the feminist film that it is. So we're officially now going to enter spoiler territory. I'm not going to give my full review yet but we will get into soundtracks, discussion, costuming discussion, set design discussion and all that sort of good stuff. So we'll start with the soundtracks. There are obviously a lot of very famous artists on the film soundtrack. We have Dua Lipa. Her song is blowing up like crazy. Just about everyone's listening to it. I think a lot of the soundtrack has gone number one, a lot of the songs off it, because they're just wonderful. They're such fun, uplifting, dance your heart out songs, except for one. (laughs) but um we'll get into that in a second so of course we have yeah as I said Dua Lipa uh Nicki Minaj with I Spice Charlie XBX Charlie XCX uh Lizzo Pink Pantheress and then of course the very very sad song comes from Billie Eilish that makes us all cry uh her song's particularly beautiful it stands out a lot to me I adore it I think the lyrics are so special and one thing that I love about it even more is how it's translating its way onto social media in regards to how it's trending a lot of people are posting TikToks to the song 
with just the simple caption girlhood and showing sort of their experiences growing up as a girl and what it's like going through this transition of being a young a young woman and coming into adulthood and reckoning with all the things that you realize um, have happened to you and the experiences you've had and how your gender has played a massive part in those experiences and influenced a lot of things that you don't quite realize as a kid because you think everything is nice and everything is happy and as you grow up you realize that oh maybe maybe the world has been a little bit against me but of course you know you can't be a victim and instead you have to find the power in it and I think that people posting these TikToks about girlhood and womanhood and finding female friendships um, is finding the power in it and it's really beautiful and opening up a lot of great discussions so I really love that song in particular I think it's very special and meaningful <laughs> so that's the sad one but all the rest are absolute bangers um charlie xcx's song really gets me hype it's of course uh inspired by the oh mickey you're so fine song i can't don't know what it's called but it's barbie you're so fine <laughs> um and Nicki minaj and i spice's song is fantastic we'll tell you a little fun fact about that one later but yeah it's got so many amazing women on it amazing strong female artists which is fantastic and we've got some men as well we've got the kid Leroy, which is fabulous for more australian representation uh khaled oh my goodness dominic fike and of course tame impala wow when that tame impala part of the soundtrack shows in the cinema just about everyone and it's like Tame Impala I'm so excited (laughs) everyone around me sort of jumped up and was like this is Tame Impala uh which I loved that coming through because yeah everyone does it and we're all Tame Impala fans and pretend to be indie but we all get excited about Tame Impala even though they're not very indie and uh incredibly mainstream and yeah Lizzo's song was fabulous for it as well about pink the lyrics are so funny it's all such catchy music the soundtrack gets a 10 out of 10 for me if I'm just reviewing that alone I think it's great suits the film absolutely perfectly okay now I will tell you my fun little tidbit that I found out about the soundtrack that I'd like to share with you guys because I think it's interesting and you may be in need of some intrigue so here's the fun fact of course people associate Barbie with the song Barbie Girl by Aqua but it has a history of controversy as there was a series of lawsuits with Mattel over the song so as a workaround (laughs) the film of course doesn't have Aqua on the soundtrack directly but Nicki Minaj and Ice Spice's song Barbie Girl samples the song and that's how they sort of managed to get it in the film in an uncontroversial manner which I think is so funny love it (laughs) okay (laughs) now let's talk about some costuming and set design of course the set is incredible uh they had to make this sort of barbie lands and make all the dream houses everything is so plastic everything is so pink the color that they used was actually pantone 
219. Apparently, they actually used so much of it that there was a global shortage, which is hilarious to think about. But the set was absolutely fantastic. If you haven't watched the Architectural Digest that I did mention earlier, you certainly should. I think it's so funny how they made the pool plastic. And of course, in the very opening scene, we see Margot Robbie walk straight over the top of it. It's very comical, shows how, you know, Barbie Land is like Barbie Land is fake. It's not real. It's all about kids' imagination. And of course, we see Barbie float down from her upstairs bedroom at one point and that is because there are no actual stairs so it's not really upstairs it's just up (laughs) um so yeah really playing on this idea of imagination and play and dolls and pretend which I love because of course you have to focus on that in a Barbie film I believe the costume designer was Jacqueline Duran who also collaborated with Greta Gerwig's Uh, for the film Little Women as well so she did the costuming this time and used a lot of pink and a lot of pastel sort of colours apparently it was very much inspired by uh, the French Riviera Beach in the early 1960s and we saw a lot of Chanel archives as well in the costuming for the film which I think really liked I think that Margot Robbie may have a contract with Chanel so possibly that had an influence on that as well and I should mention that obviously a lot of the films were inspired by or copied and mimicked actual Barbie doll outfits but I think that goes without saying hopefully maybe okay it's officially time to start talking about my opinions and talking about the plot and any sort of greater revelations I had following the screening after sitting with it for a while. Um, And then after that, I think I should delve into looking at other people's opinions and reviews and critiques uh, to see if I agree. So, my initial expectations for the film. Of course, it was very much going to be the biggest film of the year for me and so I very much built it up. I had very high initial expectations because of the hype. I did believe it was going to live up to the hype and I can say it hit every single one of my expectations. Did it exceed my expectations? No, but I did have high expectations so that's fine. It just sort of It is what I thought it was going to be, which is interesting because all of the people around me who I went with said that it was way better than they expected. So I'm wondering whether that is because they had sort of lower expectations. And then the friends that I have had discussions with who had great big expectations said the same thing that I did, that it sort of hit the mark with everything and was what they expected it to be. So that's quite interesting to me. Of course, uh, my expectations started off high after watching the first Taylor, which was a tribute to 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, and it sort of show, like reflects that pretty much exactly if you watch it. And then following that from the second trailer, I sort of got that total Truman Show vibe of it. It also reminded me a lot of the Tyra Banks film, which is 
called Life Size where she gets wished into being a real life person when she's a doll by her kid that's playing with her and wow what a throwback the film totally reflects that film uh so much on so many levels but the execution is far more elegant in Barbie so that's quite interesting um and so I was expecting it to be a lot like life a lot like life size and it was a lot like life size uh the trailer sort of made me predict that it may be went down that route of sort of leaving utopia leaving barbie land and entering the real world we also saw from that trailer that barbie might suffer this sort of crisis that leaves her to question you know her world and her existence um and of course a lot of people were comparing this to the wizard of oz but instead of a yellow brick road it was a pink road and there's a big cinematic parallel there um And of course, all of these things very much translated over into the film. All of this is sort of what I predicted would happen and did happen. So yes, it hit my expectations. Great. Uh, The only thing that sort of exceeded them or that I wasn't predicting was this plot of Ken's identity crisis and how big of a role Ken played in the film. I knew that there were going to be themes of self-discovery and identity. I just thought that they would all be about Barbie, (laughs) not so much about Ken. Anyways, the film to me was funny, heartfelt, sort of warm and fuzzy, light, friendly, inviting, and one of those sort of comfort films you could watch all the time. Um, That was the vibe that I got from it. I really enjoy that kind of genre. It's very much up my alley. So that was perfect for me nice comfortable happy with that but maybe let's delve straight into the straight into the big discussion of everything and then we can go over other stuff later I just really want to get into it because I find it so interesting I want to talk about Ken and Ken's role in the film and what he's not only what he's like as a character but like what he did to the narrative and the part that he played in that sense because Ken was amazing and a lot of the reviews came out of the film and they were all glowing about Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling's so good, Ryan Gosling was amazing, oh my god Ken is so funny and it's like oh my gosh like it's meant to be a film about Barbie. Can we say Margot Robbie is so amazing? But you know he was amazing and he was very funny and the character of Ken was phenomenal. I really loved Ken and then I also really hated Ken uh, which I think is really interesting. Of course I think that it's so important to recognise that I can feel these two conflicting emotions at the same time because whilst Ryan Gosling was very lovable as Ken, Ken was also really getting on my nerves at times and he did some bad things. That's okay. People aren't perfect, but he did bug me. Maybe I should start with explaining the plot of the film a little bit so yes it was like my expectations predicted we see Barbie she is in Barbie dreamland and she's having a good time everything is perfect everything's plastic everything's amazing and then she starts having this identity crisis she starts thinking thoughts of death and she's like what the hell is going on I'm meant to be perfect things aren't perfect right now 
So she goes and finds Weird Barbie and Weird Barbie says, the person who's been playing with you is the reason you're experiencing these things. The person is making you have these thoughts of death. And that's just the way that they're playing with you. You need to go and find this person who's playing with you. So you can be like, hey, stop. My life is perfect. Keep playing with me as though my life is perfect. That kind of thing. So, of course, Ken comes and ruins everything. And that's basically the whole plot of the film. And we can love Ken for it or we can hate Ken for it or we can do both at the same time, which is sort of the discussion that I would like to get into right now. So Barbie, of course, is going on this independent journey to the real world to sort out her identity crisis and go on this journey of self-discovery. But what's really annoying is Ken decides that he is going to pop up in the back seat and invite himself. Now, this is fine because he's quite funny and he's a little bit charming and he's Ken. So, yeah, whatever. But, um, you know, it's a little bit deeper than that. Why does he have to invite herself, well, himself on Barbie's journey? Why is he inserting himself in the situation? And then, of course... He ruins everything by inserting himself in the situation. Of course, we see that when they're in Barbie dreamland, whatever you want to call it, everything is very perfect and the Kens are sort of neglected. The Kens are only there to serve the women. They're sort of sidekicks and they're sort of nothing. They don't even have a house or a place to sleep. They're, they're just there purely to assist with whatever Barbie wants. Barbie and all the Barbies are priority and that's the way that it is and it's directly reflecting real life what happens in all other films. Literally every single other film Margot Robbie is in like Wolf of Wall Street. Her character normally is to serve the male character. She's there to be the sidekick. She's there to serve the male narrative so that he can do better. He's, she's like a trophy wife, you know, in a lot of her roles. And in this role, in this film, Ken plays the role of being sort of like a trophy wife. He's just there to help Barbie with whatever Barbie wants. And he hates that. <laughs> and he feels a lot of resentment when he learns that he doesn't have to live that way and that real life is different in real life the narrative is switched it's opposite it's sending him on this total meltdown because everything that he's learned is now completely swapped and so we see this journey of him learning about patriarchy and sort of yearning to live in a patriarchal society, which is really interesting because he, of course, then brings that back to Barbie land and creates the kingdom. And what happens in the kingdom is now Barbies have to serve the men and it's just like real life. And so when Barbie takes back Barbie land we of course expect Ken to be like oh my goodness I recognize what's wrong with patriarchy Barbie I am so sorry that I put you through that I just wish we could be equal but that doesn't happen instead we get Barbie apologizing to Ken and saying I'm sorry Ken that you felt 
neglected by me and Ken just says that's okay and it's like well no you need to apologize now for bringing the patriarchy into Barbie dreamland you did a lot of wrong and you're not recognizing your wrongs and of course it's the woman who is bearing this sort of responsibility to fix all of the issues and then once she's fixed all the issues, she apologizes for the issue that she didn't even create. And it's so irritating. And it's like, wow, I love Ken. But now that I think about the fact that he never apologized and yet Barbie did when Barbie didn't even do anything wrong. And Barbie was the one who had to be the sympathetic person. And Barbie is the one who has to be the bigger person. It's like, oh, that is so annoying and I'm glad that they didn't end up together but what's really interesting about the two of them not sort of ending up as this perfect happy ending is that they were never going to we see America's character say that she never bought a Ken and so when they're traveling back to Barbie land and she explains that it of course explains why Barbie and Ken don't work in dreamland and it's because the owner never put them together so of course they'd never be romantic so if we're looking at why they don't work in a very literal and simplistic sense there's our answer but of course the two characters not ending up together is deeper than that it can be deeper than that because it is deeper than that of course it was written intentionally that way because in a very Greta Gerwig style that we see in other films of hers Sometimes two people don't have to end up together romantically just for the sake of a happy ending or just for the sake of the narrative. In fact, the ending is even happier because they don't end up together. They don't fit. They are on separate journeys of self-discovery and understandings of independence. And so it's for the best that they are separate to each other. Barbie excels alone with the girls. She doesn't need a man. She's just a girl's girl, you know? And Ken, he's just, he's not mature enough to say, I'm sorry for bringing the patriarchy back. Can we please be equals? And I really love how at the ending of the film, they aren't equals. The women still have all the power. They say, can we have someone in the court? No, it's an all-female court. Maybe one day we'll progress there, but we're still not there yet. And that is so reflecting real life. It's so perfect because it's like, yeah, oh my goodness, feminism has come so far. But no, it hasn't. Like, we have all of these men in America determining the rights that women have over their own body. We're not there yet. There is still a really, really long way to go. And so the Kens being hungry and asking for this when two seconds ago they were celebrating patriarchy and didn't give two cents less about equality goes to show where we are in society right now and I think it's going to be this film is going to be really putting a marker on where we sit with our values at the moment and where most people are in regards to how things are progressing because yeah we can say all we like we're getting better we're doing this this is happening this is happening but it's not enough we're not there yet there's so much more to happen 
and the fact that so many people were upset about this film or people are saying that men may feel uncomfortable with the things that this film raised and feel a bit awkward watching it well you maybe you should be awkward maybe you should feel uncomfortable with the values that society has at the moment and maybe you should feel a little bit wrong and a little bit icky when you think about all the things that this film is mocking and all this the things that this film is satirizing and how they're satirizing it because it's very real these issues are so standing so i found so much discourse about this online this is very much the narrative coming from women online about seeing the film and i'd like to read a lot of these out because i think they're so worth mentioning and if you haven't seen it it's valuable to think about so this is from Ashina. She says, It's honestly so hilarious to me that men watched this movie and thought it was man-hating because I went into it so excited for it to be man-hating, but it was actually so kind to men. The execs at Mattel are portrayed as just silly guys and the Kens are all himbos. Even when they're in their patriarchy phase, so all the men even at their most antagonistic, are shown to be misguided, not villains. And a significant part of the movie is Ken realising who he is without Barbie. In a film titled Barbie, Ken gets a whole arc about self-discovery and Barbie even spends the most climactic scene comforting him on finding himself too. In my opinion... The film was too generous to men. I love that. That's absolutely hilarious and so spot on because it really captures my attitude towards the film as well. Like people who are saying it's man-hating don't understand what it's like to be hated. Women are hated and you can see that when Barbie goes into the real world and she's instantly objectified and she instantly feels unsafe. These men, when they're in Barbie lands, they're not unsafe. Sure, they're a little bit neglected, but they never have to worry about the issues that women really actually have to worry about and struggle with in real life. It's also interesting because it's like, well, maybe that part of the film isn't for you. Like, the reason it's included isn't to put you down, but it's to show show how things are. And just because the women have something nice doesn't mean that the Ken... Just because the Barbies have something nice doesn't mean that the Kens have to have less. They can, you know, work towards and equal grounds and Barbie literally takes time out of her own journey of self-discovery to comfort to comfort Ken on his like come on like don't complain when the roles are reversed but then say that you love Margot Robbie's role in Wolf of Wall Street because hey there's the roles being reversed that's on the opposite end that's what's it's reflecting come on get real of course we always see 
women as characters that have purely existed to be side pieces to enhance a male lead. That's how most films are. So the fact that Ken's one is making you uncomfortable, why aren't you uncomfortable with every other movie where that happens to a woman? I'm so glad that the film was able to say all of the things that it said in the way that it said them. Of course, Margot Robbie was talking about how she thought that it would never be achievable that Mattel would agree to allow them to make this sort of uh, make these sort of jokes about the workers at Mattel and make these sort of jokes about men being in power of the company, and they did, and it's fabulous I'm so glad that they were able to do that because it was so necessary and it says a lot and of course the main thing aside from the Mattel men is Ken's actions and how he went and he stole her house and bought patriarchy in and basically brainwashed all her friends and she's just like I'm sorry I led you on and he's like it's okay and it's like oh come on we don't have to apologize for leading men on I don't even know if she did apologize like even if she did lead him on in the first place I think she was pretty clear that they were just they were just going to be friends and not much more than that um and of course she has she feels bad for not reciprocating these feelings and it's like you shouldn't have to feel bad for not reciprocating these feelings and you shouldn't apologize for not liking him in a romantic sense like you're okay you're allowed to not like him in a romantic sense and he doesn't even acknowledge that she feels upset by all the things that he did to hurt her he doesn't say I'm sorry that I hurt you or oh you were hurt at all no apology or recognition it's just so crappy and annoying I have a piece from Mia here on TikTok that says the most hard-hitting aspect of Barbie was that no Barbie land wasn't perfect but the Kens were ignored not hated undervalued not sexualized even in a world to mirror the real world's patriarchy the women didn't want power over men they just wanted to do their own thing and yet the second barbie is in the real world she is literally harassed and says that there's definitely an undercurrent of violence ken was disappointed at the apathy he faced in barbie land but in the real world, Barbie was disappointed at how unsafe women were. So true. Like the most Ken can be upset about is the fact that he is an accessory to Barbie. And it's like, that that doesn't quite compare, does it, at all? One really beautiful thing that America said in an interview about the Barbie film was about how women can't hold on to childhood like men can men sort of are excused they are allowed to grow up and play video games and continue these sort of actions but women are told to put their toys away and Barbie is an outlet for women to revisit their childhood and I think that was really beautiful as well I think that 
America's character in the film was so important of course she says so many great things I love that she drew Barbie thinking about death and Barbie with cellulite are so real so good (laughs) those details are so hilarious but also very important and of course one of the most monumental things is America's speech where she says why can't there just be an ordinary Barbie And I feel as though that scene has truly remained in the minds of a lot of women who I've talked to uh, following the film's release because that always seems to pop up in our discussions because it really captures how a lot of us feel. We always have to fight twice as hard to prove ourselves as women, to prove our worth and our importance and to feel valued in our work. And it's exhausting. And the idea of just getting to be ordinary instead of constantly grinding to be extraordinary sounds really inviting but also terrifying because whilst I of course like the idea of just getting to be ordinary I have of course these ingrained feelings that conflict with that um, and these feelings that I have to be extraordinary to be valued in society so I also don't want to be ordinary And I love how this film captures this struggle and conflict of wanting to be both just ordinary or stereotypical, but also wanting to be more and go beyond. I also love it in the sense that, of course, it's like, why do we have to also just have one profession? Why do I have to be President Barbie? Why do I have to be Lawyer Barbie? Why am I being categorized to be put in a box of just a singular occupation women are so much more complex than that and that's of course something that the film looks at is how Mattel has of course made all these Barbies and it's like oh my god we've done so much to be progressive we have so much diversity I think it's hilarious when Sasha is like go white savior Barbie (laughs) because it's just like yeah Mattel obviously hasn't changed the world there is obviously so much more to go and even just making certain barbies and putting them into particular occupations even if those occupations are a little bit more progressive is still not showing the complexities of women and how women can't just be simply categorized I really loved also on that same note how the narrator takes over at certain points and um, makes jokes. I thought that was really perfect, but I like that it was only a little bit uh, included in the film and not throughout the whole sort of way because then you didn't really expect it and the element of surprise just took my cinema out. We were all laughing our heads off when uh, Margot Robbie is crying about feeling as though she's not beautiful and they're like hey if you wanted to make this point you really shouldn't have casted Margot Robbie (laughs) because it's perfect like there's this constant reinforcement and consistent reinforcement of calling Margot's Barbie stereotypical Barbie and it's so intentional as if to say hey this is stereotypical Barbie but we have to keep that in mind that this is stereotypical Barbie throughout the whole film because of course stereotypical Barbie cannot reflect all of the women women are complex 
we are very much openly categorizing this and we need you to remember that and be critical right now in this moment, which I love. Like the film really captures where we're stuck. We're stuck in this idea of we have progressed so far, but really we're not moving the way we think we're moving. We're like, we're thinking that all of these different Barbies are so inclusive and it's like, no, we are actually still stuck. They're not capturing everything that they could be. And I love that. The film is openly bringing that up while also recognising in a funny sort of sense that, yeah, it's doing good, but it's also doing a lot of bad. And of course, a really great detail, tidbit, fun fact that I like is the fact that it is Sasha that sort of initially brings up that idea very directly to Barbie when they're all at the table And I love that there's four of them sitting there and they're sort of meant to resemble the Bratz dolls. They all sort of look like each of the different characters from Bratz. And of course, her character name is Sasha, which is a Bratz character. And yeah, Bratz calling out Barbie. So funny. Perfect detail there. The movie really captured everything so perfectly and struck this balance of camp, parody, talking about existential existentialism sorry wow that's a hard word to say sometimes (laughs) um in a comedic and funny light-hearted way that's head-on but also indirect but also very direct (laughs) like it just balances so perfectly like if we're going back on the note of talking about how the Barbies aren't showing the complexities of women. We, of course, have to talk about how the film is scrutinising and critiquing Mattel and how Mattel is, like, making the dolls they're making, not for reasons of making things, making diversity better and world change and, you know, social progression, but because of profit and because of capitalist ideas and because of materialism, because, of course, we hear... America suggests an ordinary Barbie and he's like, that's terrible, I hate it, won't make any money. And then they're like, that will make money. And he's like, it's a great idea, I love it, let's make it. Like, that's constantly reinforced throughout the whole film, especially when Ken is going to get a job and they're like, oh, we only really need to hire women right now because, you know, we need to look like we're hiring a lot of women. They're not actually doing anything for the company. We don't actually care about hiring women. We just need to look like we are so we appear progressive. And it's like, that's the issue. It's the intentions behind things, not actually reflecting the values that are being suggested to be being put out there. And I love that the film is constantly critiquing businesses and companies and everything in that sense. I know I may be going a little bit scatterbrained here, but I want to go back to my conversation about Ken um, and the comforting of him at the end of the film, towards the end of the film. Because one thing that I forgot to say is that Ken, of course, tells Barbie that he actually found it really difficult to be a leader and he didn't enjoy it. And that's because that's not what he wanted. He didn't want to be a leader. He wanted equality, two different things. He's saying it was really hard and it's like, yeah, because patriarchy isn't what you desired. What you desired was to be recognised and that's what women desire as well. It's to be (laughs) recognised. 
simple. So simple. Yet, of course, it's not actually that simple at the same time. I thought that was a wonderful point. Sorry, I know I'm totally scatterbrained, but I had to bring that up as well. There were so many amazing quotes in the film that stood out to me so much. I loved, as I said earlier, the narrator's quotes. I loved the start when they said, thanks to Barbie, all issues of feminism have been solved. Like, that was great. Uh, I loved Sasha constantly calling out stereotypical Barbies, saying that you've been making women feel bad about themselves since you were invented. Because it's just like so many things that we have wanted to say got said and hit the mark and it's excellent but one quote that stood out to me the most out of the entire film is Sasha's quote and it's something along the lines of men hate women women hate women it's the only thing we all agree on because that is so deep and I think it's something that takes a long time to unpack and process because it's just sounds when you first hear a bit like oh And then you think about it and you're like, wow, that's so true. It captures this struggle of being a woman, being a woman when you're told from a young age that women are lesser when you so badly don't want to be lesser, but you have all this internalized misogyny telling you that you should feel lesser. And it captures how we feel as though we have to fight against this dialogue that we've been fed and actively recognise this internalised misogyny, we all have to unlearn because it has been hard to say, hey, I'm a feminist, because so many people tell you that being a feminist is annoying and overbearing and that you're too supportive of women's rights when it's impossible to be too supportive of women's rights because when you're a feminist, all you're asking for is equality. Like... We have to push further because we aren't only fighting patriarchy, but we're fighting our own internalised misogyny. And we're also trying to explain to other women who are dealing with this internalised misogyny that they need to learn to unhate themselves. And it's so much harder than it seems. Another quote I really love is when Margot Robbie has her flat feet and she says, if my feet were shaped like this, I'd never wear heels. That's so funny. Like comedic genius, how they come up with these things. Every single quote is just so funny. There was, of course, a plethora of amazing feminist quotes throughout this film. There are so many that you can snatch and grab out, I think. But it just, the script writing is just amazing. It just hits the mark with every single one of these comedic moments all of them made me laugh especially when he's like I have no power does that make me a woman like oh my goodness just the way that you cringe when you hear it it's just it's just perfect (laughs) um of course I loved all of the different characters my favorite character of all besides all the wonderful women was Alan by Michael Sierra playing him, of course. He is hilarious. He has so many awkward, funny moments just standing around being Alan (laughs) and wondering who he is and why there's only one of him and he's confused about that. 
Um, for those of you who don't know the context behind Alan, Alan is of course meant to be a representative of sort of the LGBT community. He is described as being Ken's buddy and he fits in all Ken's clothes and that sort of hints towards a relationship between him and Ken, um, which maybe is why there's that joke in there that he's a bit more sensitive and maybe he's a bit more feminine for that reason, um, which is, you can totally spend a long time unpacking as well because that's quite depthy in itself and you could absolutely get into a whole discussion on that too. I really loved Alan's fight scene. That, to me, was the funniest moment of the film as a Michael Zero fan. That that was my highlight movie moment of the film. I say for all future episodes, I'll do a highlight movie moment, and that was my that was my favorite magic movie moments right there. What's interesting about Alan in particular is that his doll actually in real life had to marry Midge. So we're of course introduced to Midge, the pregnant Barbie. We don't see much of Midge in the film at all because as explained, it's a bit weird seeing a pregnant Barbie, apparently. So perfect. That's also a very funny quote. I love that too. Um, It's just too weird, apparently. But yes, what's interesting about Midge is in real life, Midge's character had to marry... uh, Alan because Midge was pregnant and that was very controversial. Midge was a very infamous Barbie because it was accused of promoting teen pregnancy and it was pulled off the shelf and put back on the shelf and pulled off the shelf and put back on the shelf because they were like, it's okay, she's married. And then it looked like she was having a baby out of wedlock with Alan and everything was a mess. So they had to keep making alterations to this Midge doll. And overall, we can see that a People just aren't quite ready for it yet. There are plenty of other funny hidden gems and tidbits that I would like to get into. One of the things that I liked about the details of the film was how much it sort of reflected um, play and the idea that Kate McKinnon's doll is a weird Barbie, which is a nod to rough play that uh, a child would subject their Barbie to and how she sort of looks like she's been tossed up. Also, the way that Ken talks to Barbie calls themselves boyfriend-girlfriend <laughs> in that way uh, to sort of reflect how a child would talk. And also when he says that they're having a sleepover but they don't really know why they're having a sleepover very much reflects um, what a kid would think when playing with Barbies sort of this innocence and not really understanding and this immaturity but there are tons of other tidbits that I would like to mention because I think they may amuse or intrigue you so one is that the film got banned in Vietnam due to the appearance of a perceived nine dash line with only eight dashes coming out of Asia on the map presented in the trailers and of course behind Barbie in the film when Barbie is with Weird Barbie. Uh, This is of course because of the South China Sea sort of situation (laughs) to put it lightly so that's one interesting tidbit that you could research into if you find that sort of stuff 
interesting sort of global politics. Another interesting thing is that prior to filming, Gerwig organised for all of the female cast members to have a sleepover to establish positive relationships and kick everything off, which I think would have been really fun with all of those amazing stars. But it's also a little bit weird, like imagine your boss making you have a sleepover when you think about it in that sense. It's not quite good. Um, Another thing that's interesting is John Cena's appearance in the film. He just happened to bump into Margot Robbie and it was like right place, right time and ended up in the film that way quite organically. It was not planned. It just sort of fell into place, which I think is hilarious. Next tidbit is Margot Robbie actually gave Ryan Gosling wrapped pink presents every day to sort of get him into the mindset of playing Ken. Uh, So these presents were things such as beach-related items, as Ken's job is beach, as we learnt. (laughs) The dog that's in Weird Barbie's house is also very interesting to talk about because it's actually uh, reflecting a real toy that came out, which was a dog for your Barbies that really did poop, which is so ridiculous. Um, it was quite a funny moment in the film and she's like, oh, watch out for the dog poo. <laughs> um, so yeah, the dog is a real toy that you could have where the dog would poop and you could clean it up. How pleasant. I thought that dog was so funny. Another fun fact I love is that the end bit of the movie that has the Billie Eilish song and has that uh, sort of flash to all these real world moments is the fact that all of those real world moments were quite organic. They were submitted by people in the cast and people in the crew and people that the cast and crew knew. So they were real moments that sort of captured what it's like to be a woman and as of course we talked about with the TikTok trend about womanhood and girlhood it captured these moments of that Um, and it's absolutely really beautiful to have all these real home videos from the production in the film it's really special um, and sort of honours the staff which is fantastic and makes it feel like so much less of a giant corporation film and more of this very special meaningful film and of course the Billie Eilish song for that doesn't only appear in that moment but is sprinkled just the little melody of it is sprinkled throughout the whole film so it sort of almost builds up to that moment the whole way throughout the whole journey. The next fun fact I really like is uh, about Ken and his confusion between horses and patriarchy. Greta Gerwig sort of explains that, of course, when you are looking at statues and stuff, there's always horses and statues, like statues from wartime and whatnot, I mean. And so she thought it would be funny to show this confusion that someone may have uh, between who actually is, like, the leader (laughs) is it the horse or is it the man um so that's how that detail slipped in which I think is so funny another thing I really like is that all of the Kens of course had to do this prep to become Ken they all got waxed and had to be silky smooth and they're equally as much manicured as the Barbies are that's a detail I really enjoyed and thought was very special 
the next detail I really like is that Ken's legal name is And Ken, and we know this because when he holds up his little name badge, well, name plates, whatever it is, when he's posing for his arrested shots, it says And Ken, not just Ken. The final fun fact I have is that searches for Birkenstocks uh, soared 110% following the film's release. Of course, there was a good amount of advertising in the film from cards, sponsorships to Birkenstocks. So it's funny to see how that increased sales from there. And also, interestingly, how Mattel stocks went up when the film was announced as well. So now it's probably time to talk about reviews. So to start off with, uh, I, of course, saw initially very excellent glowing reviews um everything was looking very nice and then of course the misogynistic reviews came in and I will be ignoring those for this uh for this podcast episode because they are so overtly just hating on the film because of the film's feminist lens and have no substantial reasoning for disliking the film besides that there so we're not going to get into that Um, One of the critique sentiments I agree with and very much like came from a writer from Collider called Perry Nemiroff, uh, who says, as for the story, that's where I'm a bit more mixed. I think the film serves Margot Robbie's Barbie and her journey especially well, but there are other characters experiencing important arcs that needed more screen time to really dig into and explore to the fullest. I would absolutely agree with this, and I think I said it a bit earlier as well there are so many fabulous side characters that shouldn't be side characters but could totally have their own entire narrative where they are the main character um because whilst they do serve barbie they can also totally be a main character they are so depthy and they just didn't have enough time to get into it I guess but I would love a whole film dedicated to all the different Barbies you know how we have Barbie Rapunzel and all like we were talking about earlier let's now get into one where we can see every single one of those Barbies and Kens in their own individual film I want I want it all and I want Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie to make all of them (laughs) another review that was interesting was Deadline's review which calls the film a social commentary I would agree they wrote that in essence Barbie is a film that challenges the viewer to reconsider their understandings of societal norms and expectations and called it a film about the human conditions our strengths and our flaws and I would agree with this because the film does do all these things but achieves it in a very elegant way which still feels fun and still feels like a Barbie movie and still feels energetic whilst leaving you at the end of it going wow I have a lot to think about and a lot to digest so I would agree with Deadline's review in that sense and then another review that I really like came from the Washington Post which states that Greta Gerwig achieves a balance between silly and serious while paying homage to all things Barbie. It keeps up a commentary on consumerism and sexism and the double, triple, quadruple binds that women have been historically forced to navigate. 
those are all of my favorite reviews that I would like to mention and that brings me to the end of the episode because I've been talking for nearly an hour and a half with no sort of structure just sort of blurting out everything that I could possibly think of because wow I have so much to say about this film so if you made it to this point thank you so much for listening that means a lot to me um I will try to structure future episodes a little bit better maybe they won't go for as long but this one of course was always going to be long it's the film of the year come on (laughs) um but thank you so much for listening and please give me a follow on Instagram at movie night with sass uh follow me on Spotify ring the bell give it a review anything because I'm a brand new podcast and I could use literally all the help I could get I'm pretty sure it'll just be friends and family listening for this episode so if that's you thank you so much (laughs) it means a lot because I'm just starting out and yeah I'm a newbie um for next week I well not next week but for the next episode let's not Let's not get into regular posting yet because I am still a uni student. Um, But for the next episode, I will be looking at Joyride. So please watch the film and let me know all your thoughts and opinions on it. You can send me an Instagram DM all about your thoughts and opinions on it so that I can get into them and say whether or not I agree with you in my next episode. Thank you so much and see you there.